You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for tuning in, however it is that you found the show, whether it was through Revelations Radio Network, Revere Radio Network, the Black Vault Radio Network, iTunes, YouTube, whatever. I'm happy you're here. And I've got a lot to do today, starting with the news, so we'll just jump right in here. Um, oh, my cat decided to jump right on the uh, lap there as I started this, so we're going to go through the news together. Okay, this first one is just first because it's the first one I clicked on. Um, this is from Jack Blood from Deadline Live. He has a clip here from Michio Kaku, who is this... Uh, I mean, he's just uh, this guy. I'm sure he, he's now on the mainstream media quite a lot, but he's al- he's always been in like Art Bell and stuff like that. He was this physicist that you know would agree with everything that Art Bell believed, basically. So uh, he he became famous, uh, as far as I know, through that show. But you know, he he believes that you know aliens are going to save our, us one day, and I saw him on like Fox News and stuff not too long ago. I think he's on there all the time, and he's just total puppet nowadays. But anyway, so here's a. Uh, Here's a uh, thing where he says that anybody who opposes the New World Order are terrorists. And in this clip, I'm going to just play the very last part of it. And um, he really does say it. I mean, he says it pretty boldly. He goes to the first part talking about how um, uh, we are, as far as aliens, we're looking for... You know, not little green men. We're looking for type one, type two civilizations. And, you know, he's really excited about that. But in the last half, he's like, and I tell you what, I'm just really excited about this uh, globalization and, you know, what's all going to be happening. We're all going to learn English and we're going to be this planetary thing. But that's, you know, whatever. I mean, you can have a view about that and not be crazy. But just listen to what he says here at the very end. I'm going to go real high tech here and I'm going to hold the microphone up to my uh, laptop uh, speakers. There's also going to be a type one culture and a type one political system as well. You can go anywhere on the planet Earth and show people pictures of two individuals that are instantly recognizable by any human, Madonna and Arnold Schwarzenegger. In other words, we're talking about Hollywood movies. We're talking about rock and roll, rap music, blue jeans. That's going to be the planetary culture of the planet Earth. And what is the Internet? The internet is the beginning of a type one telephone system. That's all it is. And so this transition is perhaps the most important transition of all time. Some people don't want it. They fear this transition because this transition is to a planetary civilization tolerant of many cultures. These are the terrorists. In their gut, they fear this because they know they are witnessing the birth pangs of a beginning of a new planetary civilization, and the terrorists want nothing to do with it. There you go. I mean, the terrorists here, they just, gosh, can you can you believe the terrorists? Anyway, that's not really that great of a story or anything, but uh, uh, I just thought it was cool. Okay, the, or not, or uncool. Cool in that it was uncool and something that I could report on and, and fill some time with. Um, secondly, this is one recently discovered habitable world may not exist and this is from science magazine here uh let's see here let's find the the abstract two weeks ago u.s based astronomers announced the discovery of the first goldilocks planet circling another star 
just the right size and just the right temperature to harbor alien life. But yesterday, an exoplanet um, meeting in Turin, Italy, uh, Switzerland-based astronomers announced that they could uh, find no trace of the prized planet in their observations of the same planetary system. It may exist, I don't know, but uh, this is what uh, scienceblogs.com from news.sciencemag.org. But it just goes to show you that, um, and it doesn't have to be this type of thing, but everything that's like that, life on Mars, life on asteroids, life on other planets, habitable planets, I mean, we we consistently get stories like this that, that run across the AP newswire and hit all the mainstream news things like, like, Mm, what's a good analogy? Um, I don't know. Something that travels really fast. And then we all find out that it wasn't true. But most of the times you don't have to wait to find out that it's not true. All you have to do is read the article. It's just the, the headline that's important. Life found on Mars. And then you read the article, and Frank and I used to do this all the time. And it would say, and it's probable that life could be found someday based on some new whatever thing. But the the headline was totally unabashedly life found on Mars. And here's the thing. I don't really think that there's a problem with life being found on Mars or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, microbial life or even whatever. Even if there was, like, life on other planets in the very Star Trek kind of way, you know, we've got lots of different life everywhere. I think what, what the issue is is that that's not even a problem in terms of a biblical view. I mean, the Bible is doesn't say anything about that. The Bible doesn't say, and... Um, and God only made this planet, and he didn't make anything else. If anybody says anything different, they're lying. I mean, there's nothing like that. It doesn't mention it, and I think that for us to, our only limitations would be in limiting God. Like, well, God couldn't uh, um, do, you know, he couldn't handle that extra work. I mean, it's hard enough with a planet, but, you know, if he had more planets or a million planets, that would be too much for God. I mean, how how, how supreme is he, really? It's just limiting God, putting God in a box. And so, I mean, I, I don't think that there is, and the reason I say that is because um, at least we, we're not finding any evidence of it. And if we were, we would stop using just tricks like this where we'd always discover uh, life on Mars and always discover life on some in water on an asteroid or things like that. They would just say it. But, again, it doesn't matter. But I do think wholeheartedly that they're going to use the fact that the world totally believes that if aliens show up or if life gets discovered somewhere else, they, they will have a knee-jerk reaction and think, oh, that disproves God in the Bible. That's, the, that's what they're going to use. It doesn't matter if it's true or makes any sense. Uh, we have been programmed with that. So when it happens, when it happens, and I mean that it could happen in the sense that they come up with something or whatever, any number of deceptive ways that they could do that. And um, then everybody in the world would be like, well, that's it. Just goes to show you the Bible was wrong. Yep, we are gods, and we can evolve into a, a godlike being someday if if we just try really hard. But we still have all these god lovers around, and they're going to have to go because, well, they, don't, they still believe in their old ways, and they think these things are demons or something. So they're just going to cause more wars if they're still around. So we're going to have to eliminate them. But we, on the other hand, are going to be evolved, we're told, one day, if we can really hurry up. And, you know, okay, maybe that's maybe that's a little taken a little too far, but I don't think it is. So, anyway, enough of that story. Moving on to the next one. That's in German. So, I can't read that. 
this one, uh, the definitive guide to insulin, blood sugar, and type 2 diabetes, and you'll understand it. And this wasn't the name of this article when I clicked on it. It was something like, should we eat um, breads and sugars? Uh, it says, we all know, this is from Lou Rockwell, which I'm not a huge fan of, but here it is. We all know uh, by now that type 2 diabetes is epidemic. We're seeing words like crisis and runaway all over the news and in the journals. Heart disease, disease rates have been cut in half since the staggering margarine days of 1980s, but diabetics have swif- swiftly risen to fill that gapping void and meet the challenge of completely unnecessary di- disease epidemic. Here's my ultra-simple explanation for the entire insulin, blood sugar, type 2 diabetes mess. Big Arga could really care less about you. That's just business, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, it is not in it for the love of life. If that were the case, drugs would be cheaper. The FDA has to think about public health, but it does also have to think about tre- uh, treading carefully on the toes of corporate interest because that's how it works when you're the biggest economy in the world. Print this explanation out, stick it on your fridge, email it to your aunt, and put it down and put down the pasta. When you eat food, the body digests the micronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, actually many different amino acids and fats. Anything it can't digest, like alcohol or fiber or toxins, either passes right through, or if it makes it into the bloodstream, gets filtered by your liver, a beast of an organ if there ever was one. We measure these macronutrients in grams and calories, but your body operates in terms of fuel. If you eat more fuel than your body needs, which most people do, the body is forced to store this excess. This ability to store excess fuel was an evolutionary imperative in the world that was in the state of constant feast or famine 50,000 years ago in terms of primitive health and our DNA blueprint. Humans became very efficient fuel storage specialists and were able to survive the rigors of hostile environment and pass those very same genes down to you and me. Thanks a lot. Bear in mind that every time of uh, every type of carbohydrate you eat is, is eventually converted to a simple form of sugar known as glucose, either directly in the gut or after a brief visit to the liver. The truth is, all bread, pasta, cereal, potatoes, rice, stop me when you've had enough, fruit, dessert, candy, sodas, you eat and drink eventually wind up as glucose. While glucose is a fuel, it actually is it, it is actually quite toxic in excess amounts unless it is being burned inside your cells, so the body has evolved an elegant way of getting it out of the bloodstream quickly and storing in those cells. It does this by having your liver and the muscle store them store of the excess glucose and glycogen. That's the muscle blah 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 blah. I don't want to go on anymore. The only reason I read this article is to suggest that I don't know if he's right. I don't know what the deal is as far as as far as this. I have heard you know this stuff before, but I will say that I have been not eating um, wheat or sugar of any type for a few months now, mainly because uh, my wife uh, can't. She she has some basically like thing where she can't she can't tolerate sugar anymore and the sugar was causing a wheat allergy and so and she really didn't like not eating sugar or wheat so i decided i would not eat sugar or wheat along with her which was uh you know kind of hard there at first because you know you're so used to it and and everything but uh it really doesn't bother you after it just like goes away but i'll tell you this you lose all kinds of weight because it's just i mean that's really uh, all there is, well, not all there is to it, but I mean, 
I mean, that's a that's a serious uh, weight thing. When when I was doing like running every day and stuff like that, I was trying to like lose weight or whatever. Not that I like am fat or anything, but I just you know trying to lose weight before I got married. And I was just like, it never, it never was it never was uh, going anywhere. But then when I did that, I, like I wasn't even trying to do anything. It was just like the scale just kept going down. I probably shouldn't lose all that much more anyway. But I I think you kind of balance out and like kind of just sort of operating in a normal normal weight um and uh so i just wanted to mention that for that particular reason maybe it'll help somebody out there obviously it's really healthy and this person is suggesting that a lot of diseases would go away if we did that um okay this article is from uh Catherine albrecht merck sued uh pet chip implants pet <laughs> pet chip implants in cancer new website chip me or not features details on cancer case uh other adverse reactions pharmaceutical giant merck and company has been served with a lawsuit over the claims of home again pet microchip induced cancer in a in a cat animal rights attorney stephen wise seeks reasonable compensatory damages for a malignant tumor likely induced by home again id chip implanted in the client's cat the complaint, Andrea Rutherford um, versus Merck, Sharp, and blah, 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 uh, was filed last week in Cambridge District, District Court. The complaint named Implant Maker Digital Angel Corporation as co-defendant. Based on the alarming number of microchip-linked cancers we're discovering, I predict this lawsuit will be just the tip of the iceberg, says Catherine Albrecht, a consumer advocate and expert on adverse reactions associated with the implantable microchip. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Albrecht's paper and a copy of the complaint are also posted. <laughs> Albrecht documents several cases of microchip-induced tumors in laboratory rodents and dogs. A review of the literature, a peer-reviewed academic paper she presented at a June conference of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers devoted to concerns about uh, microchips. So basically, don't get your pet a microchip. And in fact, I think my cat has a, a microchip in him. Uh, we got him at a uh, a shelter, so wasn't our doing. But uh, anyway, don't get anybody a microchip. Not just your pets. Nobody. And I think it could be used from some serious evil at some point. I'm not saying it's the mark of the beast. Whatever the mark of the beast is, it has to be something that can you know cause people to buy or sell. Right hand or forehead makes sense to me because you not everybody has a right hand, but every, everybody has a forehead. And if it had medical records and such on it or things like that, it would make sense because people would be passed out and they would all want to know, you know, have to be a standardized place where everybody got it. So the right hand or forehead thing makes perfect sense to me. Moving on to this story from, uh, let's see, skipping that one. UN resolution threatens religious freedom. A Quote, defamation of religions resolution introduced by Pakistan in 1999 at the United Nations Commission on Human Rights will be taken up once again at the UN General Assembly in November 2010, according to concerned Christian, according to, wait, according to Christian and human rights groups. The UN defamation of religions resolution threatens the freedom of religion and expression for Christianity and members of minority faiths worldwide. It seeks to criminalize words of action perceived as attacks against a religion with a focus being on protecting Islam. These resolutions condemn anything which offends religious sensibilities as racism and hate speech. Unfortunately, the, resolution, the resolutions provide support for 
blasphemy and similar laws like the ones which have been used to brutally suppress dissident and religious minorities in Pakistan, Egypt, Iran, and elsewhere. Since 2005, the resolution has been proposed twice a year, and to date, all proposals for the resolution have been adopted. However, over time, the support has been declining since the 2008, the number of no votes and absentitions have outnumbered those votes in favor of the resolution. Please pray for all those involved in the decision-making process for this resolution. Pray for wisdom, foresight, and clarity of mind. Pray for religious freedom and be and will be respected around the world. Pray for many who will suffer for their faith in Jesus. And this is from persecution.net. And that should about do it for the news. I think I'm going to keep that section at about 15 minutes long so I can make YouTube clips out of them if I am inclined someday to do that. And i will got to apologize. I listened to this section of the show last week. don't normally listen, in, listen to the shows, but uh, I did last time, and it was really boring when I was talking about what I've been doing and, you know, the different projects and stuff. And I know that I do that like every show, which is got to be really annoying because I mean, well, I'm sure that, you know, some of you care about what kind of projects I'm doing and what I think about those projects and things like that. Really, that's not why you're here. You're here because you want some either information or, you know, good research about something that's edifying or something like that. So, I'm going to try to be conscious of that, but I do think of I th- do think of the show as like I always have sort of like an audio blog where I talk about the things that I'm doing and I have a lot of ideas, but I don't always do all of my ideas or have time to do all of my ideas. So sometimes when I do that it's sort of just a way to think out loud and you know that way other people can uh do something with them if they so if they are so inclined or whatever. Um, but one idea that, uh, I want to talk about real quick in this sort of show notes section is the David Icke video. And I'm going, I'm going to get into some actually good research here. And well, no, no, not good research on my part, but just some cool stuff that I've been looking into. Um, but the, um, the thing about it is the David Icke thing is really seriously a big project. It keeps growing and growing. And I, I went through, seven hours of uh, video today uh, and yesterday just chopping it up into clips and I've got I mean a lot more hours of video probably 20 or 30 more hours of video needs to be chopped up and categorized and and then I've got to do you know the research and the outline it's really daunting Um, but it's also really exciting because there's a lot that can be done with this I I hope um, people see I don't, know, I don't know why I hope this, but I, uh, it's just that it's so such an opportunity. There is so many ways to present this debunking that's going to be so much bigger than a debunking. It's going to be uh, the the chance to be a beacon to the entire New Age world. And, and, and all over the world, David Icke is uh, immensely popular in other countries and things like that. And this has the ability to just, to just, uh, not only really raise awareness about, uh, him, but also to, I mean, it had just has, there's so many opportunities because it, because of how close David Icke is to the truth and where he errs really shows the face of the true new world order. 
and um, of course shows this all to be what it really is, which is a um, a spiritual battle. Uh, and uh, it, it also shows clearly there's no really no doubt of what side he's working for, and he has no idea himself. But it, in in that I th- he I think that he is genuine. But uh, I think in in explaining that to people, it also shows the nature of how not only David Icke is used, but how they can be used and what the New World Order's real agenda is. It, it has this ability to not only do that, but by by the only logical conclusion, you have to um, preach the gospel because it's the only it, it's evident at that point that that's the only thing that they fear um, is Jesus is the gospel. And it really has a way, I think, of demonstrating that the enemy of us as truth seekers is, in fact, Satan of the Bible. And that can be demonstrated not in a a mythological way, but in a factual way, a way that's going to just, I think, open the eyes of many. Don't get me wrong. I'm not deluded. I know that um, most of those people uh, are going to just reject it because you can't accept uh, that, but I do intend to make this the best uh, thing that I've ever done, and, and and try my my hardest to do it in such a way that gets their attention and, and does it thoroughly, and really proves what I say, and does it with his own words. That's why I'm going through so much videos because I want to have him uh, indicting himself and explaining it all himself because he really does at certain at certain times in, in all the video that he's done. He explains uh, his own problems and in in such a way uh, that I think will be very eye-opening. If people are expecting this anytime soon, I wouldn't uh, because it's going to take a long time and and it really is a little a little worrisome because um, something that takes this long and it's just it's just hard because I want to do so so much other stuff that um, you know it's difficult. I was thinking about uh, that the other day when I was thinking about all these other projects that I had going on and I w- was writing out a few different videos that I wanted to make and stuff like that and just little videos about apologetic things or whatever and I was looking at these lists and I was thinking um, and I got this really from George Mueller's autobiography because he would he would pray about the things that he uh, was going to do whether it was open up another orphan house or whatever and he would just pray extensively to figure out if it was God's will first and he would explore his own, you know, motivations for doing it and really, really do some soul searching about why he wanted to do it. And once he discovered his motivations were pure and everything, he would just start praying for it. And that's, I mean, he, he would pray, you know, not having any money to build, you know, at that, at some, a uh, new building that co- would cost 25,000 pounds. He couldn't even afford, you know, really any of the orphanages that he had if it wasn't, you know, coming in miraculously every day through prayer. So adding another 25 pound, 25,000 pound building and its upkeep was just, you know, by all intents and purposes, ridiculous. But because he had spent so much time validating that it was in fact God's will, then it wasn't a big thing. And uh, another cool thing about him is that he would, he would uh, make sure he had all the donations before he started the building. Uh, as well, but anyway, so I was doing that, looking at my list of things that I decided to do that day, and examining my motives for doing that, uh, doing them. And while they were semi-altruistic, really, they were not good. And uh, I scrapped everything that I had to do that day, and um, just worked on the David Ike thing because the David Ike thing um, is something that I did pray for, and it felt like I got the green light to do, and 
felt like it was like, okay, you're going to do it. Well, you know, do it. And so I feel like I should be working uh, pretty hard on it. But I'm going to obviously continue to do verse-by-verse Bible teaching with Mike. And that's something that you're going to be, and I'll probably do um, Nowhere to Run, albeit a little bit uh, less frequent. But I'll try to get them out when I have time, like tonight. So, um let me just ask you again to pray for me about this particular project because um, there's a lot of spiritual stuff going on with it and uh, uh, just watching all this stuff, reading this much Alice Bailey will make anybody just feel oppressed or, and watching as much stuff of him, uh, you know, and the blasphemies and everything like that. Are just, it's just, it wears on you spiritually. I can really feel it. Uh, and so, uh, your prayers would be helpful in that. And also that to, to organize, help the Lord organize it because, uh, it's just, it's so immense in my head to, to be able to, to present this, all, all this information in a way that I think will be effective. Uh, it to me seems so daunting as to, uh, just be scary, but, um, I know that it's so evident that all these people setting this whole thing up, they had demonic um, help, you know, automatic writing and, you know, demons showing them what books to read and, and all this stuff. Just, just, it was all put together by demons. And I know, uh, that God is, uh, is, uh, is much bigger than any demon, obviously, to say the least, is the world's most massive understatement. So, um, so having his help on this, uh, is absolutely crucial. So moving on to some research, one thing that I have really enjoyed in this and really feel like I'm in my element is the research that it takes to, to really do this correctly and do it right, which is, um, and it's always fun because you always, uh, when they say something, you know, dumb, you get a chance to really look it up and really dig in and, and do a lot of the research, which I love to do. And I, and, um, it's been fun. One of the things I, I did want to talk about is something that came out, came up sort of out of nowhere. Um, uh, David Icke believes in ley lines, which are, you know, supposedly these, these lines of force that connect different megalithic sites and their vortexes where they cross and things like that. Anybody that's sort of been in the semi new age circles knows exactly what I'm talking about. Well, the interesting thing about that is that, um, I guess I've just always gone along with that for all this time. I, I, I never really thought, Hey, that's just not true. Uh, it never occurred to me to, to look that up. And, and I know you probably, a lot of you were like, oh, didn't you know that's uh, whatever. But um, I just, it, it was so much a part of the background noise of the new age. Like, oh, new age, uh, ley lines are just, you know, of course they exist. And I think what got me too is that uh, I believed that all these, you know, sites and all these American cities were on lay, you know, perfectly lined up and all this stuff was, so I thought, true. It turns out... It's not true. Um, and w it's really interesting, the history of all of it. Um, let's see if I can find a little bit about uh, that on my computer. I've got all this stuff pulled up, but it's just a bit disorganized. Uh, I suppose the, the person to, to, that started it all was a guy named Alfred Watkins. Now, he was a guy that lived, uh, he died in 1935, and he lived in England. He was a photographer and an amateur archaeologist. And basically what he did was he mapped um, ancient sites in like the southern part of England. And you, if you look at this on a map, 
if you type in ley lines, he's the guy that co- coined the term ley line, and it it really just had like a Germanic word. This is what they think a Germanic word for like um like a, a patch of land, a glade type thing. And so uh, he basically all he was doing was saying that there were there's a, a monuments in the southern part of England, some some mounds and things like that that are in a straight line. And he basically wrote another book called, what did he call this thing? Uh, the, the Old Straight Track or something like that. And it basically said it was a trade route of some kind. And that was pretty much it. There's nothing paranormal about what he, what he said or what he did. It was he just the old straight track, and he called it Ley Line, the Ley Lines. So this was sort of the genesis of everything. And everybody else sort of added a little bit to a little bit to a little bit of this in, until you get to just ridiculous proportions. Um, the next, I think I should read some of this. I, I don't want to bore anybody if they've never heard of this stuff, but um, let's see if I can find uh, the best place. Uh, well, it's interesting. There's sort of two lines of research here. One of them is is how ley lines came to from this uh, little straight line that the guy uh, uh discovered in England to what it became uh, as far as the New Age believes, which is, you know, lines of force connecting parts of things all across the world. And then the other part of that is the the development of the Earth grid. Now, this is the, the if you type in ley lines in like a Google image search, you're going to find uh, nothing that really agrees with one another. Uh, but that's what I'll talk about that in a minute. But the development of this so-called grid which David Icke uses in some of his presentations, but it's sort of ambiguous. He's not necessarily saying this is the ley lines, what they look like. It's just this is a grid on Earth, and there's ley lines, and let me tell you all about them, etc. But the this this grid developed interestingly from a, a different sort of line of research. Of course, it all it all uh, it all went back to the other guy, uh, but this is kind of after. Um, the it developed into such a way into the new age so it was already being used in the new age so it went from he died in 35 and you know in the 70s and 80s is when it was pretty much firmly into the new age so we can take that history real quick and look at that just for a brief moment uh go through the origins of the ley line theory i'll kind of go right after he died um uh, in response to his work, especially to his most important book, The Old Straight Track, the Straight Track Club was formed, in which people all over Britain conducted field research looking for alignments of sites and perhaps remnants of old straight tracks lying among them. Shows a picture of these guys here in 1930 at Stonehenge. It says, For about seven years in the 1920s, Watkins referred to his alignments as lays. This is an Anglo Saxon word meaning cleared strip of ground or meadows. Watkins' theories of lays uh, was that they were old straight traders' tracks laid down by surveyors in the Neolithic period of prehistory. They used survey rods, he claimed, and this was blah, 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 blah. Uh, moving on. Uh, the old straight, the old trackway of one of Alfred Watkins' lay, lay alignments passes through the ruins of, okay, he's describing this photo. In 1935, Watkins died. In 1936, the British occultist Dion Fortune um, I wonder if that was like a stage name, Dion Fortune. It sounds like a, a cultist. Wrote a fictional book, fictional book called The Goatfoot God, in which she put forward the notion that 
lines of force connecting megalithic sites such as Avebury and Stonehenge in the south in South England in 1938, uh, and in, in Southern England. And then in 1938, Arthur Lawton, a member of the Straight Track Club, wrote a paper in which he claimed that the lays were lines of cosmic force which could be doused. He was a dowser himself and was impressed with the German dowsing that was uh, then getting underway. And uh, French dowsing work, which was claimed that there were lines of force beneath standing stones. Lawton, Lawton put all this together in his own head and came up with a theory about lays. In 1948, the Straight Track Club was closed down. There were only a few surviving members and no new work was being done. The idea of Watkins's lays was kept alive by a few French writers and researchers in Britain during the 50s. Probably no other country in the world at this time was, was anyone uh, talking about lays. Lays uh, for the 1960s. From 1960, the lay theory took on a new lease of life, uh, one that has led to modern new age to the modern new age notion of ley lines. Uh, and R, an ex RAF pilot, Tony Wedd, was very interested in flying saucers or UFOs. He had read Watkins's old straight track, uh, and also a French book, Flying Saucers and the Straight Line Mystery. Uh, in which it was falsely suggested that the locations where flying saucers landed or hovered very low during the 1954 French flying saucer outbreak or wave fell into straight lines. Wedd made the excited conclusion that Watkins' lays and Michael's orthonies were one and the same phenomena. He also uh, read an American book by Buck Nelson called My Trip to Mars, Moon, and Venus, in which Rogers claimed to have flown in UFOs and to have witnessed them picking up energy from magnetic currents flowing through the Earth in 1961. Wedd published a pamphlet called Skyways Landmarks in which he theorized that UFO occupants flew along magnetic lines of force which linked ancient sites and that the ancient sites acted as landmarks for UFO pilots. It is uh, relied... It all relied very much on notions and experiences of an old-fashioned terrestrial airplane pilot rather than an intergalactic extraterrestrial creatures. So basically he's saying, you know, and it's really interesting, too, because this guy makes this notion that that's how they could tell their way around the Earth, you know, and so they kept the coordinates through this stuff, as opposed to, like, our our planes now, like, have uh, totally better ways to find your place. But anyway, extraterrestrials uh, are going to be kind of like old terrestrial planes. Um, Wed formed the Star Fellowship, which aimed to contact Space Brothers. Uh, the members of the club enlisted aid of a psychic called Mary Long in their lay hunting, and she started re- referring to lines of force and magnetic nodes in the landscape. She also channeled communications from a space being called Atalita. Atali- in 1962, a lay hunters club was set up with Wed's encouragement, and in 1965, it produced a few copies of the Lay Hunter Journal. It was at a conference held by members of Wed's group in London of 1966 that I first became introduced to the idea of Lay's, and it's possible that John Mitchell, who also attended the same meeting, other pioneers of this new wave of Lay hunting, also became involved in the subject in the 1960s. In 1967, John Mitchell wrote his first book, The Flying Saucer Vision, in which he talked about UFOs, ancient sites, Alfred Watkins, and Lays. In 1969, he produced his seminal work, The View Over Atlantis, in which he brought his uh, erudition and insight to bear on the lay 
on the lay theory and mixed with ancient sacred geometrical and number systems and much else besides, particularly the Chinese system of landscape divination called feng shui. He also speculated about dowsing. The book had profound influence on the new generation of lay hunters. In it, as well as the magazine articles, he put forward the idea of St. Michael line running 400 miles across southern England in the same year of 1969. The Lay Hunter Journal came under editorship of Paul Screenshot and remained in continuous publication until 1999. So, by the end of the 1960s, the new young generation of lay hunters felt that lays were probably lines of energy, of magnetism, even, and associated with the lines with UFOs and psychic experience, the lay theory had become as brightly colored as the 1960s psychedelic shirt and would hardly have been recognized by Alfred Watkins. All sorts of books, articles, and uh, pamphlets appeared uh, enriching and enlarging the ideas of earth and energies and lays. Now, this this article goes goes on for some time, and talks a little bit more about about this, but I'm going to shift the the focus now, and we're going to look into the uh, the idea of how this this chart came about, which is um, something I'm having trouble finding here. Oh, okay, now this is this is. I hope you can see sort of that. Um, so far, we have a guy with a with a straight line in southern England that has a burial mound and Stonehenge and, you know, just other ancient trade routes and stuff like that in this line. And it's developed now into all this energy and stuff. Uh, you go in these vortexes where lots of energy and stuff is. And, and let me let me go ahead and say this, because I think this is a really important part of this, is that um, people, uh, before we get into this, I think there are certain megalithic sites that could be determined to have a lot of spiritual energy and things like this. Uh, if you want to look at it like that, I'll, I'll explain exactly how that can happen. And that is because the ancient megalithic sites, probably in ancient times and even in modern times, are still being used for sacrifice of animals and human beings and things like that. Um, take David Icke, for example. He, the place where he had his, you know, great energetic experience, which was basically just a Kundalini experience, um, where he, you know, is convulsing on top of this uh, hill where all these like stones were in Peru. And um, he's three minutes down the road from a place where, you know, as I described in the podcast before, where they sacrificed uh, so many humans that they had to have stone tracks running to the lake to carry all the blood. But they still to this day are sacrificing like pregnant iguanas on this thing as a, as a, uh, a symbol of whatever. Uh, as just a, a, a ritual they do up to this day. So what I'm saying is that, that these ancient sites, when they do sacrifice and stuff like that, that is traditionally just in regular Satanism, I mean, how you sort of demonize an area. Like haunted houses and things like that uh, are mostly because people have done some sort of seance or um, Ouija board or different things. They've let these things into their house, and those things don't have a lot of uh, they're only there because you let them in or somebody did and they have sort of a territorial claim to it in the sense that they can go there. They can't go anywhere else. It doesn't seem. So that's why megalithic sites, uh, if the, if, if in fact you're using, um, uh, you know, sacrifice and things like that. And of course, when a new ager goes there to power their crystals and things like this, and they're doing rituals essentially with the crystals that sort of give their free will over to, again, them empowering the crystal and all this other stuff, they think it all validates the ley line thing. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, this is such an important vortex and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, 
there isn't anything going on in these so-called vortexes. Nobody could n- know, uh, as we're about to find out. Anyway, it's just where I guess what I'm trying to say is when there is anomalies, like you're feeling weird or something psychic or crazy happens like that for real at one of these megalithic sites, it's not because they're on a vortex. It's because of the human sacrifice or blood sacrifice that's gone on in the past or even up at the up till the present. So moving on. So everybody shows these, you know, pictures of earth grids and stuff like that. And I guess in my, in my head before, I used to think, well, they were like scientifically put there. Maybe they had something to do with the longitude or latitude or, you know, maybe maybe that was done, uh, you know, scientifically or something. After all, everybody talks about it. I thought all the cities uh, lined up. I remember one time when I was trying to prove this to somebody and I was trying to show how all the American cities like lined up and they're like, okay, how do these line up again? And... um you know, similarly, you can take the pyramids and try to line up, line it up with everything. You're like, okay, now how does this? I forget how I'm supposed to line this up with things. And um, so, anyway, how does this start? It starts with um, a guy named Ivan Sanderson, who is a professional biologist who founded the Society for Investigation of Unexplained in Columbia, uh, New Jersey, and he wrote a book called. The Twelve Devils, Graveyards Around the World for Saga Magazine in 1972. So this was, this is well after this thing had become, uh, Watkins thing had become New Age sort of lore. And he writes this thing, um, and he basically, he, he, he bases everything. His whole like model of these, uh, he calls them like 10, uh, sites around the world, or 12 areas rather, around the globe. Off the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, uh, it's kind of like. Oh, and then his book really just shows all this, um, you know, all this uh, stuff about how all these ships disappeared and all these different twelve spaces around the globe. But the Bermuda Triangle is where he like focuses everything. So uh, that's what this is all about. He 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 describes essentially that that's that they've got this this area uh, that is that that's. That's how everything is based off of. Everything that we see now when people do try to put grids is because of this. Now, the interesting part about that is you can find people like, um, oh, man, I hope I didn't lose that link. It was really classic of the guy who had debunked. uh, Let's see if I can remember who it was. Uh, It was called uh, In the Vent Into Thin Air, People Who Disappear was the name of it. It was written by a guy named Paul Begg. Kind of a rare book, apparently. But it, you don't need Paul Begg's uh, Into Thin Air to see the critiques of, of the Bermuda Triangle, stuff like that. It, it's just, it's out there. Um, regardless of what the Bermuda Triangle is, there's a lot of really good theories out there. I'm not going to make a claim as to which, what it is, but I will make a claim to the to the super popular things that are out there are totally... Uh, you know, a lot of them didn't even happen in the area. Uh, some of them are just total myth. Um, I think you guys probably know enough about the Bermuda Triangle to be like, yeah, that's probably not anything paranormal going on there. I mean, really, if anybody's out there that still believes that something paranormal is going on in the, in the Bermuda Triangle, then let me know because, you know, maybe that's something I need to, when I do this, I need to make, make more of a point about. Of course, I'll probably have, more detailed things. And, and when I when I try to do this in the, the video, I'm going to try to condense this to about maybe 15 seconds or 20 seconds of, of debunking. But um, right now it's, it's looking more like whatever, 45 minutes. Um, 
So anyway, this this continues from there. He writes this book about um, the vor- the twelve vortexes or whatever, and he names these other ones. And he just totally lies. I mean, in, in certain cases, he just makes things uh, you know says things are there when they're not, and uh, he just you know it's just not a very good thing to base the entire grid off of. So then uh, a guy named Christopher Bird, who I think he wrote The Secret Life of Plants, which uh, it doesn't do a whole lot of good for him as far as, far as credibility. Uh, but nevertheless, he writes this book. Um, I think he's the next guy around it. Uh, no, yeah, Christopher Bird in the planetary grid. So he's reported to America from Russia. And this is in, in the last day of 73. Official, the official newspaper for the Soviet Union's younger generation ran a controversial article Earth, what are you anyway? The story suggested that far from being a simple spheroid, our globe started out as a crystal with angular dimensions. Only after millennia of motion and the actions of many forces did the crystal round itself into a ball. Now, I don't have time to debunk that. I'm not sure. I, for the sake of argument, we'll say that the Earth is a crystal that after millennia, uh, you know, turned into not a crystal. If anybody is a geologist or wants to look that up and wants to send me a debunking for that, I'll be I'll be grateful. But I just don't plan on uh, debunking that. But one of the things is that so this this is what the this guy then goes and he puts um, uh, he he maps out the 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 world I think to map out it occurred to him to mark on a globe the earliest centers of human culture somewhere with him an intuitive impulse as the russian youth newspaper put it suggested that there might be a pattern a geometric irregularity behind their genesis it was only after uh, he met uh, this other russian a construction engineer and another russian uh, i don't know their names a specialist in electronics and his vague impulse became a first suspicion then a hypothesis after several years work it appeared uh, in a popular science journal of the USSR Academy of Sciences under the title, Is the Earth a Large Crystal? The Russians also mentioned Ivan Sanderson. He's the guy who had the Bermuda Triangle stuff and, and has written that the triangle is not only uh, an infamous region of the Earth's surface, but there are nine others. The ten regions, says Sanderson, are systematically situated around the globe, five above, five below, an equal distance from the equator. Had the American investigator thought to add two more points, the North and the South Poles, say the Russians, his scheme would have precisely coincided with the model which they had adopted. Now, they, of course, knew about his model the entire time they were adopting their model, right? So so these guys, based on the notion that the Earth is a crystal and in, the 70, in 73, uh, match their data up with the guy who um, thinks that there are ley lines and then basically says that those ley lines correspond to the Bermuda Triangle and other places. And then it gets into just total New Age gobbledygook at this point. And, and I, I would read the next one, but I'm reading this part from a site that like absolutely believes in this uh, thing. In fact, it's called VortexMaps.com. So they're, they're, they're showing us the wonderful history of this vortex. So this is all the the cotton candy side of this or the best face this has to offer. But basically from there it goes on to some people who uh, just sort of come up with like random things. Like she comes, the next person, Beth's research pointed that certain kinds of handheld artifacts supported the world grid model, namely the geometric carvings described in zinc, wrongly called bolas, uh, which are rings, and in two inscribed stones bearing related angles but otherwise unrelated, known as the Flagstaff Stone and the Clay County, Missouri Stone, 
Beth showed that certain ancient maps were apparently based on the same system. Probably the most significant discovery I made the, uh, involved great circles. A great circle is an equator. It cuts a sphere exactly in half. Uh, the first glance, the Earth crystal map appeared to me to be a web, like a spider grandmother, but in fact was perfectly symmetrical cluster of 15 great cycles or hoops. That created the illusion of 120 identical triangles. So, she, this is what our, our map of, uh, of ley lines is based off of. It, it's totally bogus, and there's no reason to think that this stuff exists. Now, when people put up things, and I haven't seen a lot of this. In fact, if you go out and try to find like maps of ley lines, you would expect that you'd find all this stuff after hearing so much about it. But um, what people normally say, if they're actually, you know, trying to connect cities or or whatever, is that they they are not in straight lines, but like you know, like one is in the center and and it's you go out from there, and it might be like you know they all sort of are around in a center or something like that. But that doesn't make any any bit any difference at all. You could do that with with any points, you know, just say one is in the center and connect other ones from outside of that center. It, it, it only works if you have like sort of an arbitrary ley line system that is around that. And that, obviously, as we see here, the system makes no sense. I mean, it, it's based on completely frivolous ideas. The Bermuda Triangle, the Earth is a crystal, that some stones had circles on them and therefore must correlate to this ancient grid. It doesn't make any sense at all. So there's no reason to trust this. And actually, there was a, a place, I think, in um, in Seattle. They actually gave $5,000 to some dowsers to go make a ley line map of Seattle. So that it's like a so this map that cost them $5,000 is getting <laughs> uh you know displayed in government buildings and they're actually selling the public back this map I mean, which would which they paid for anyway because the, the it was public money but they're now selling the public back a map of this ley line system which interestingly was done by dowsers. So what what I'm trying to say is that that uh you know the only the only way that this seems to make any sense goes right back to the, to the original thing, which the the first occultist that wrote the first uh, occult story about this right after that was, um, you know, and this always if you if you actually another interesting aspect of this is how it's it's done in channeling, and that's really what validates this if if you really dig into it. Uh, for instance, I was listening to uh, the end of David Icke's presentation. He closes out this seven hour marathon talk. And he closes out by reading a channeled letter that was channeled um, by a psychic that he went to. And he's like, well, I don't you know, normally like channeling or whatever, but this particular one was just really great. And it's the channeled message from this this god who actually uh, is a rep. It's interesting <laughs> because it's like uh, supposedly the name of it, which he doesn't mention right there in that last thing. But it's actually a very evil god in Sumerian times. But... Um, so this guy, which I'm not, of course, saying these things are actually that thing. I mean, really, they're just liars, and they name any name that they think is cool to the person or whatever. But uh, the person might think cool is, is anyway. Uh, but so the, the the this entity, this demon, tells uh, Ike or who are this the psychic that about ley lines, and that's what we see uh, from the very beginning of this history. If you remember when I was talking about how it got from the guy who just talking about the old straight line uh channelers came into the scene really early there 
um, and started making this be about, you know, energetic lines of force for it was really the channeled message that made that happen. Now, of course, this this is really important in the New Age thing because uh, there is, a, you know, a, a belief that they're, uh, you know, that what they're dealing with is energy and power and they could tap into all this different energy. And so when they're at these places that they are told to go and get the energy and charge crystals and do these kinds of things, they believe they're talking about vortexes. For instance, um, I remember in the 2012 presentation, there's a, a lady there that's talking about how she was driving through an unusually large vortex. And, and, and that's when she was hit with like a demonic attack. She, she describes this thing telling her to start a 2012 blog or whatever. And, um, she was, she, she equates it. Oh, she was just driving through an unusually large for, large, large vortex. And, it could be that things with her all the time, you know, but her interpretation in her, in her head is just, I must've been driving through a vortex cause I just got hit with, you know, some spirit telling me what to do. You know, it's just their explanation for everything. And I'm going to continue on with this, even though I'm going to go a little long here uh, and talk about how that really translates to another thing with Ike, which is his belief. in. if you've ever listened to any amount of David Ike, you're, you're going to know that he's talking about uh, his, his belief system and holographic, uh, you know, we're all holograms. None of it's real. And, you know, we're all infinite consciousness and um, we've got to raise our consciousness. This is old kind of stuff that, you know, is is everything that's ever been channeled in the history of the world talks exactly the same thing. Of course, he would never say that he's nothing like the New Age. He's a totally different get back. But his belief system about the holographic universe, which he just believes like it's his religion, right? He gets it all from a guy named Michael Talbot who wrote a book called The Holographic Universe. And... Uh, Michael Talbot is uh, basically he wrote this book uh, describing a pretty uh, a pretty standard well it's not standard uh, uh, theory uh, of in physics which is more or less accurate he spends first two chapters really describing a uh, viable scientific theory and he does it really well in good layman's terms it's really a wonderful description of a real theory and then the rest of the book he starts attributing attributing everything to this uh, this holographic universe and it doesn't even make sense that it has to be a hologram he just he literally describes everything uh, 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 like uh you know who sai baba is this guy in india who uh, this pedophile has been busted so many times google sai baba or on youtube and, and fraud or something like that because uh, not even the pedophile stuff. That's just egregious stuff. But but what he does with this really crappy sleight of hand stuff that he does. I mean, it is unbelievably obvious that he because one of his you know uh, things that he's supposed to be so amazing to do is he can make trinkets appear out of nowhere, and he's always giving people little gold trinkets or or not even gold trinkets. Or he can also make dust appear out of he can sprinkle dust on somebody, and nobody knows where the dust comes from, and all these other things. Or he coughs up. This, uh, this, um, uh, yellow or golden, whatever ball. And you can watch all these things. It's like, he is just the worst, just a, a F grade magician. And his sleight of hand skills are slightly better than mine. If I just, if I just started, uh, which I've never done it before. So, well, maybe I've like sort of done it, but that's what it would be like if I tried to do it. Uh, so, but anyway, the funny thing about Talbot is he goes on for like 
page after page after page after page talking about Sai Baba and how he's just like, nobody knows. It's impossible to, uh, to do any of the stuff he does. It's like trickery that you just couldn't have imagined. And that's why the holographic universe exists. And, uh, you know, other things like that, too. He, he, he goes on about uh, stigmata, you know, this thing where, like, uh, people uh, claim to have the wounds of Christ on their hands and their heads, and they just always appear. But why? Well, nobody's looking, of course. It's like, oh, no, I got stigmata when nobody was looking. Uh, he goes on like that thing is just the most – I mean, he, he, he talks about it like it's a done deal. Scientists have already – I mean, it's it's part of the same sort of scientific mindset. Since stigmata is, is real and nobody questions that, it's obviously, you know, the holographic universe there. I mean, not even not even sort of giving the possibility that stigmata is just a hoax. Um, pointing back to, like, St. Francis Assisi and this other, you know, like, uh, lady from the 1600s is just, like, proof, you know, it's happened. I mean, St. Francis, uh, you know, why, who, and who does he quote is, like, Catholic priest. Did this happen? Catholic priest, yes. Okay, it happened. Um, so, anyway, that, that, that's, that's, that's basically it. But, but what's interesting about the, the whole thing is uh, with Talbot, Interestingly, he he describes like OBEs and, and astral projection experiences. They are all uh, evidence of of uh, this same problem, this this same holographic universe. And uh, um, the issue there is that he actually describes in an interview that I saw uh, him. He, he he lived grew up in a house with a poltergeist. He described it was he describes all these paranormal experiences that he always had as he was little, blah blah blah. Same Jordan Maxwell kind of story, right? And he and he talks about living in a house with a poltergeist ghost, and it was just always messing with everything or whatever. And he also talks about having an astral projection experience when he was little at that same house and you know he's floating over the whatever he validates it because he sees some book laying in the yard and somebody later asks for that book and he knows where it is and whatever the issue is is that everything that he mentions that is not like a cheap parlor trick like Sai Baba all the other paranormal things that he he says says proves um uh, uh that this that the universe is a hologram their minds are holograms is easily chalked up to what David Icke already knows, which is that there's an extra dimensional entity uh, that he's been talking to and that is very concerned about him that, that, you know, that wants him to think about things and do certain things that there is other entities in the next dimension. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the universe is a hologram. It's just purely dimensional physics. It doesn't require holograms at all. And everything that he's saying uh, that is, uh, and both of them, because it, and that's interesting too, because it's 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 some, going to be kind of funny to correspond all the stuff that David Icke says to the stuff that uh, Michael Talbot says, because uh, like if you've ever listened to any David Icke, you've heard like that, you know, when we turn into a TV, you know, there's all kinds of channels going around every everywhere. We're just receivers, and, you know, we can tune in if we look in the same areas. And and, and David Icke's all, uh, you know, I say this all the time, but you know, TV receivers, and it's interesting because. Talbot says the same thing before he says the exact same things. Like I say this all the time, but it's kind of like we're TVs and we're, you know, we're tuned into the same station and that's so. And then of course they're both talking about the exact same stuff and use the exact same examples. And, and Ike's not trying to hide it necessarily, but uh, I don't know if people, if people understand to what extent his entire belief system is based on Michael Talbot who died in 1992, fairly young of leukemia. Um, but uh, anyway, so 
this has been a pretty long show. Why not? It's probably been, what, an hour or something like that. It's pretty good. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed it. And stick around for Verse by Verse Bible Teaching next Monday. And pray for me for this uh, this video and stuff like that. Or, or I think it might I might actually call this one a film if it all works out. But here's the deal. I didn't really even want to talk about this stuff a lot because... You know, it'll just cause more spiritual stuff and whatever if somebody's listening to it or whatever. So just pray for me a lot. And I really appreciate it. And we'll talk later. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.